The first reading is taken from Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 26. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say live by the Spirit and you will not not gratify by the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit, Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Amen. I've got a friend who lives in the south of France and spends his time writing. I'm trying not to envy him too much. His latest book is about freedom, exploring the idea from the perspective of an anarchist philosophy. In a recent exchange of emails, I told him I wasn't into anarchy much. And he replied, it all depends on your view of human nature. If you think that people are born basically good, with an innate tendency towards cooperation, empathy and caring about others, then you can imagine a society working without the need for state control. If you think, on the other hand, that people are basically selfish and bad, then you're going to call for an external framework to keep them in order. Otherwise, society will degenerate into fighting, stealing and chaos. He thinks that people are basically good, so anarchy would be okay. I think it's a bit more complicated than that. Do we need rules and laws or not? Left to our own devices, would we all live in peace and harmony? Would anarchy be good or bad news? I was way too young to be in San Francisco for the summer of love in 1967, when thousands of young people gathered together to celebrate their liberation from oppressive conservative social values. They said about that time that if you, were there, if you remember it, you weren't really there. <laughs> Looking back 40 years after the event, The Guardian ran an article on how that summer ended. By the autumn, everything had soured. A dark side distorted the hippies' hopeful aspirations. The movement had become a commercialised media spectacle and a bit of a mess. The realities of dropping out hit home. Free love was used to excuse rape. Thousands suffered from serious drug addiction and mental problems or became homeless. 
San Francisco was overrun with dealers and teenage runaways, and the Haight-Asbury scene deteriorated through overcrowding, homelessness and crime. Many of the originators of the scene fled elsewhere, and in October, a mock funeral, the death of the hippie ceremony, was held by some of those that remained. Realising that peace and love couldn't sustain them forever, most of the hippies eventually had to go back to university or get a job, though some found ways to continue their alternative lifestyles at home or abroad. For most, though, the utopian dream had come to an end. They went with flowers in their hair, but found that flower power wasn't enough. So the question is, if we all did exactly as we pleased, what would the outcome be? My problem is that, left to our own devices, I suspect we would be naturally selfish rather than altruistic. But maybe I'm just judging everybody else by my own very low standards in that respect. But a bit of me wonders why we ever saw the need to develop rules and laws at all if unregulated human behaviour was naturally harmonious. The biblical perspective on human nature is that we're created in the image of God. And so we have the capacity for enormous goodness. But that goodness within us is flawed. And so we are also capable of unspeakable acts of evil. It's not necessarily that we're born bad, but we're born into a world that is alienated from God. And that inevitably affects how we live our lives. We can't escape it. Laws, rules and regulations serve to restrain and punish lawless behaviour, and at their best they can provide incentives for good behaviour. They provide a framework within which it's possible to live a reasonable life. At 176 verses, Psalm 119 is easily the longest psalm, indeed the longest chapter in the Bible. And it is an extended reflection on the virtues of living your life in accordance with God's laws. How can a young man keep his way pure? by living it according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, the psalmist says. God's law was given to enshrine core principles for how to live a life that was pleasing to God in accordance with the principles of justice and peace and how to live life in harmony with others. Over time, the law came to be interpreted in great detail and was rigorously applied so that every area of life could be carefully regulated and lived God's way by God's people. But, what about people who wanted to belong to God, but who didn't want to keep the rules? You can understand how they might be viewed with suspicion by those who felt that the best way to honour God was by a meticulous observance of all his commandments. If you wanted to be right with God, you had to observe the works of the law. It seemed simple and straightforward enough. And everybody agreed, except there came this ex-Pharisee called Saul. At least that was his name until he found Jesus and changed it to Paul. And then he starts to tell people who found Jesus as well that they don't need to keep the law at all. Jesus puts them right with God. All they need to do is believe in him. You don't have to keep the rules. Now, if you worship a God whose holiness means that there could be no contact between him and anything or anyone who is sinful or unclean, you can see why this might cause a few problems. It's great that these foreigners have discovered God for themselves through hearing about Jesus, but it's pretty obvious that if they want to belong to the people of God, they're going to have to live how the people of God are supposed to live. And that is, obviously, by keeping God's laws and commandments. You can't just have people who say they belong to God and then do whatever they want. If they belong to God, they need to do what God wants. 
and convenient enough what God wants has been thoroughly documented, set out and interpreted for any and every eventuality in his law. So, you've got religion, they said. That's brilliant. You found Jesus. We're delighted for you. You want to be members of God's covenant people with us? Of course you can, but... If you want a covenant relationship with God, you do need to keep all the requirements that go with being members of God's covenant people. And if you really mean business about this, then that means keeping the rules and actually you blokes ought to think about getting circumcised because that is the fundamental sign of belonging to God's covenant. When Paul heard about this, he wrote Galatians, which is anything but a calm, peaceful, loving, pastoral letter. It's fiery, angry and polemical. For all that he writes about love, joy and peace at the end of the letter, you don't find much of these in the quality of the tone of the letter. Or much about patience and gentleness either for that matter. Because for Paul it's axiomatic that faith alone in Jesus Christ puts people right with God. Whether you're a Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter. Faith puts you right with God. Faith in Christ. And that's the good news. God doesn't require us to tidy up our lives and make ourselves presentable before he will accept us. Not a bit of it. Christ gave himself for our sins when he died on the cross. Those who believe in him are sons and daughters of the living God. Those who've been baptised into Jesus have clothed themselves with Christ. God puts the spirit of his son into your hearts so that you know he's your dad and you know that you are his child. Faith in Christ must not be seen as just the first step in getting your life sorted out with God. That needs to be followed by a subsequent step of deciding that you are going to obey all his commandments and regulations before God will accept you. No. Christ is the be-all and the end-all. If you believe in Jesus, then God has accepted you as his child. God welcomes you as a member of his family, of his covenant people, and that is all there is to it. Well, okay. If we accept that, how are these people supposed to live their lives then if they don't keep God's laws? It's a logical question to ask. Human nature being what it is, surely if everybody does whatever they want, anarchy will be the result, won't it? And not a harmonious anarchy either. Paul is under no illusions about human nature. He talks about people giving in to more immoral ways, filthy thoughts, shameful deeds, hating other people, being hard to get along with. People can be jealous, angry and selfish. They argue with each other. They get into trouble. They envy each other. And their idea of a good time is to get drunk and carry on at wild parties. So there is no way that Paul could be accused of looking at human nature through rose-tinted spectacles. But surely if there aren't rules and people do whatever they want, isn't this kind of anarchic, harmful behaviour inevitable as a result? No says Paul. Because what you need to understand is that people who have put their trust in Jesus and have the spirit of Jesus living in them will not naturally live this kind of way. Yes, without the spirit of God left to our own devices, we will naturally veer off into all kinds of antisocial behaviour. He describes this kind of lifestyle as living in accordance with the flesh. Yes, we are made in the image of God. Yes, we are capable of great goodness. But apart from God, Rooted as we are in this sinful, broken world, without rules and guidelines to keep us in check, our natural, unrestrained inclination will be to spiral downwards. But Paul says the law is not a solution to this problem. 
Yes, the law shows clearly enough how we should live. You can summarise all its 613 commandments and regulations in one single line, though. Love your neighbour as yourself. And the real antidote to the flesh is not the law of God, which serves to some extent to regulate and control human behaviour in this world. The only real answer to the flesh is the Spirit of God changing people from the inside out. So rather being kind of conforming to the world in which we live, the Spirit of God within us enables us to change the world around us by who we are. And the Spirit of God is nothing less, actually, than the presence of God within us. The holiness of God within us. The love of God within us. The life of God lived through us. Now, in practice, because we're still only human, the flesh still pulls us in one direction, but the Spirit of God pulls us in the opposite direction. And it's not an even contest. Because as Paul says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So the Spirit is free to govern our hearts and our minds, direct our decisions, decide how we live. So when those who have the Spirit of God are set free from restraint and their lives are deregulated from the minutiae of observing every detail of God's law in every area of their lives, the result is not a dissolution into anarchy and chaos. But instead, the Spirit of God works within us over time to implant those qualities of love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. As Paul Riley observes, you don't need laws to regulate that kind of lifestyle. And the key to living the Christian life is not about keeping a lot of laws. The key to living the Christian life is to be liberated and allow the Spirit of God to govern your heart and mind, to keep in step with the Spirit, to allow the Spirit to direct your desires and attitudes, to ask God to fill you with the Spirit so that your life life exudes the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Living the Christian life is about giving free reign to the Spirit of God within you and allowing him to shape and mould and change you from the inside so that you become more and more like Christ, in whose image you were originally made, capable of extraordinary gifts of goodness and love. The Spirit of God allows you to discover, actually, what is your true identity and to live your life in accordance with that. Okay, so how do we allow the Spirit of God to govern our lives in that kind of way? Well, if you are a Christian, the Spirit of Christ is within you. And the crucial thing is then, is not to live your life every day by simply ignoring him. It's perfectly possible for us to revert to type and live our lives as the worst kind of people if we decide we're going to shove the Spirit of God out of the driving seat, out of our minds and hearts. That's why it's important and helpful to spend a few minutes each day reminding yourself that the Spirit of Christ is within you. Inviting, allowing the Spirit of God to take control. And this goes beyond a mere mindfulness exercise, because if you are a Christian, then the Spirit of God is a living reality in your life, a resource for you to draw upon, a resource to enable you to live your life a different way. But it can be useful. 
to do some kind of meditative breathing exercise, breathing in the Spirit of God and the qualities he brings and breathing out the negative opposites. Mindfulness is in in a big way these days. In industry, in, in, in commerce, everyone's come talking about how you breathe. And it is good, it's relaxing, it's helpful. But actually to tie that to the Spirit of God. And as you do so, allow the Spirit of God to create within you the fruit that he wants to bring into your life can change us with the reality of God at work in our hearts. So I'm going to do a little exercise with you. Get yourselves comfortable. Make yourselves at home. You are already here in church. If you're listening to this on a podcast, make yourself comfortable at home. I'm going to ask you to breathe in. And as you breathe in, breathe in. One of the fruits of the Spirit. And as you breathe out, just breathe out its opposites. And just ask God to make this real in your experience as we do this. Let's have a moment of quiet, first of all. Just breathe in. And breathe out. Breathe in. And out. And as you breathe in, breathe in God's love into your soul. And breathe out the dislike you have of yourself and of other people. As you breathe in, breathe in God's joy in your heart. And breathe out all that negativity. Breathe in his peace. And let go of all that anxiety as you breathe out. Breathe in his patience. And breathe out stress. Breathe in kindness. And breathe out indifference to others. Breathe in his goodness. Breathe out your selfishness. Breathe in his faithfulness. Breathe out your compromise. Breathe in his gentleness. And out your hard-heartedness. Breathe in his self-control. Breathe out your laziness.
and breathe in his presence and allow that to fill your heart and your mind. Don't stop breathing, but you can relax. And of course, you can do that kind of exercise if you're not a Christian, and and loads of people derive benefit from it. But if you want to know the living God for yourself and his presence within you, if you want to know forgiveness for all the things you've said and done because you haven't fulfilled your potential for goodness, if you need a change within you, and the power of God to enable you to live life a different way, then to derive real benefit from that, you need to become a Christian and ask Jesus to come into your heart as Lord and Saviour because he died on the cross for your sins to release you from their hold on your life and he rose again from the dead to take charge of your life and fill you with his spirit to make a difference. He calls us all to take that step of faith. Maybe this morning, it might be the right time for you to do just that. In which case, have a word with me or Jack or the prayer team will be available in the corner there. But God doesn't hold his spirit back. God's great desire is to impart his spirit to us, to share his life with us and to change us. The only thing that stops him is our openness to him. Allow God to take charge of your life and shape and mould you into the person he wants you to be, to set you free to live life his way, by his spirit within you.